This is Kurt Ryle from the Grip Weeds, House of Vibes, and Buzzmeg. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast series, Vibrations at the House of Vibes. This is the second part of episode four, The Smithereens, Jim Babjack, and HOV. In part one, Rick and I talked about how The Smithereens started us off on our musical journey with the Grip Weeds and beyond. Then I talked to Jim Babjack about how some of those early Smithereens records came to be and maybe even got him to unlock a secret or two in the process. We went into what brought the Smithereens to House of Vibes to record a slew of albums in a three-year period. In part two, we'll hear more from our guest Jim Babjack of the Smithereens about the two Beatles tribute albums they recorded at HOV and a couple of others. Rick and I discussed working with the late great Pat Denizio and a bit about Jim Babjack's Buzz Meg and working in the studio early on. So let's get back into it. Take it away, Rick. Yeah, so there was the, that period where the Smithereens were coming to House of Vibes quite often. There's a live album, right, that you did? Yeah. And then there were the, the Beatle records. There's Meet the Smithereens, where the Smithereens yep. record Meet the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And then there's B-Sides of the Beatles. B-Sides the Beatles. Then we did Smithereens Play Tommy. Okay. There's, then uh, we did uh, the Smithereens Christmas album. Yeah, very interesting. So, which you kind of, I guess concert. you know inspired us to do a Christmas album. And then Once I again, with, they're inspiring us. And at the same time, I was working with Pat. All right, uh, well, solo. And that and was I one, did about three or four records with him. Yeah, so so <laughs> much to talk about. All right, the the Beatles stuff. You know, there's a lot of Beatles fans out there. How did that? You know, how did they approach like doing the Beatles? Well, Pat, generally in in the Smithereens, uh, anybody who knows Pat, he was he was just a driver. He'd be the idea guy. He was the guy that said, I got it. Let's do this. And he would call everybody and say, let's, this is what we should yeah. do. He was the, the leader. Okay. You know, he wrote a lot of the songs and, or at least co-wrote them. And, uh, he sung the lead vocals and he was for all, you know, he was kind of leading, leading the charge for the Smithereens. So, so he, he came he up, came with, the up with the idea of like, uh, of doing a, a tribute album but let's make it a tribute to the most uh, iconic record of all time, the one that started off the whole British invasion. That's Meet the, Meet the Beatles. You know, that's not with the Beatles. It's the one you heard in America. The American, the so first Beatles American release. Yeah. We took that. Which is basically a compilation, but yeah. people didn't know that. People didn't know it, and that doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's a good album, actually. Yeah. And so then, then my uh, mission was to interpret that Beatles record as a Smithereens record. Okay. So when you do that uh, with any artist, with any music or any artist, you're looking to be sensitive to what the artist is going to give you. First off, you can't go in there and say, this is what you're going to do. Well, you, you, it doesn't he, work Pat that way. Denizio is not going to be able to imitate <clears throat> Paul McCartney or John Right Lennon. off the bat, we had to change the keys yes. for Pat. That's the one right there. And then again, which, which we were kind of applying to our dig album uh you know looking for ways to sort of toughen things up a little more make yeah. it a little more contemporary maybe a little more distortion in the guitars uh, and stuff yeah, yeah and that that that's to me the smithereens had um you know such the big sound big guitar big sound. guitar sound big was guitar a big sound. feature of, of their sound i told jimmy that when we when we uh, did the interview which you've heard um yeah so that uh, that was kind of the approach there 
you know, and how it's interesting how each member approached it uh, slightly differently. You know. Yeah, because they're not, they're not, they don't. Like I wouldn't say Dennis is a Ringo Starr sounding drummer, and Jimmy is not necessarily. You know, these guys have their own sound. Yeah. So they don't sound like the Beatles particularly. Well, even if they try to, it's them yeah. playing the Beatles. So like, you'd think that you wouldn't realize that Dennis played almost note for note those songs. He was he very, would. very respectful. Dennis, know? Dennis is a complete font of knowledge of music oh, yeah. history i know that about him absolutely like he knows every he knows every single note of what's played on he knows records from that era like un, I've, I've heard dennis on interviews un, unbelievable knowledge yeah well he's written liner notes and stuff yeah. he's a he's a huge fan of a lot of deep knowledge uh, deep of knowledge music yeah. and um he uh it was kind of fun because on, on this record we brought in Dennis and Jim as other singers on some of the songs. So it was all of a sudden it was Dennis's turn at the mic and you know he's he's got this almost showman quality to yeah. how he approaches it. So it was really kind of fun to work with him. And Jim Jim it's like come on Jim you can do this. He's a little shy. You know, Jim's hopefully. a little shy when he comes up to the mic to sing and right. Pat of course is just, you know, Pat does what he does. He does what he does and he he's like you get into Pat has a had a comfort zone. Yeah. And it was a stretch to fit Pat into some of these tributes that we did uh, because it was out of his comfort zone. Totally. You know, um, but that was okay because it, it, it gave those new versions their unique sound of I, him. I do have to ask you one thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's on B-Sides of the Beatles. Didn't you have Andy White from yeah. Abbey Road era oh. six, mm -hmm. 60 two or 63 yeah uh yeah. all right so andy white was the original drummer on love me do love me do and, and ps i love yeah. you which was a single in 62 1962 yeah ringo walked in surprised to find that he wasn't playing <laughs> Sorry. Not, that he, not that he couldn't Sorry. but uh, you know i think there was a case of nerves or whatever <clears throat> george martin was going to make sure that they had a professional that, that's just that one time so yeah andy white was the it, one time is a professional drummer of the early 60s. Yes. Which is nothing like a professional rock drummer now. Yeah, nothing like that. So, like, tell us... So how is it that Andy White and not Dennis was the drummer on... Well, Dennis, Dennis graciously uh, gave up the throne. Wow. Uh, the drummer's throne to Andy, uh, you know, in just so that they could have that extra little bit of authenticity of... Not only did they cover P.S. I Love You, and we also did Love Me Do, which was released just last year, finally, ah, after good. all this time. Um, not only did we, you know, were they doing those songs, but they got the original guy who played on them. That's amazing. Just because we all knew uh, Tom Frangione from the Beatles channel. Ah, uh, Beatle Tommy. Uh, and his, uh, you know, connections with Beatle people like Andy is how we got... Uh, that's how we got Andy here. So I've heard, Andy comes down. I've heard Tom Frangione's show. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. And it's fantastic. And we, we're good friends yeah. with Tommy. Uh, Beetle Tommy. As Beetle Tommy. <clears throat> so uh, and Andy White comes in. And, Andy White. And I'm preparing the studio. And how old is Andy White coming in here? Well, he's an old man. Yeah, about 70. Know, he's 70 something. 70 something. Yeah. So he comes in. Hey, he's slightly that was like, 60 years ago that he did those tracks. Yeah. 
60 years ago this year. So we're quizzing oh him. Oh, my God. You know, imagine, like, the, the perspective. He, he's, it's, uh, you know, a couple of hours work for him out of one day in 1962. Exactly. That he has to talk about for the rest of his life. he has to life. talk about for the rest of Oh, yeah, the boys from North England and, uh, you know. Uh, who knows? Uh, he had done, I think he recorded. <laughs> Those um, boys from North England. It's Not England. Unusual with Tom Jones. Oh, he did that? Yeah, he's oh. done all kinds of amazing stuff. Oh, my God. Stuff. I'll bet he worked with Jimmy Page. He probably mm. did. Who knows who he worked with? Yeah. He's a jobbing musician. He went from session Working to session, session to guy session. in England in the right. 60s. So he shows up. It's these unknowns from northern north of England who didn't have any records at that point. Exactly, yeah. So they were nobody from nowhere. And he remembers. And in fact, they, in fact you know, the Beatles tried to do test recordings that weren't even particularly up to standard in George Martin's view. Like they did... Yeah, I mean, it's a whole... I'm not that, knocking That's it. a rabbit hole of things. Well, I'm just saying... Of a Beatle uh, discussion. <laughs> but they weren't, you know, George Martin didn't know exactly what he was getting. So he, he had to make sure that... Well, you know, I could put myself into George Martin's shoes. He's got to get it done. Because anybody that's ever recorded somebody else... Yeah. Uh, for Especially for a label that's expecting Time is a money. product... Time is money, and you need something serviceable. Oh, in the 60s, you have to get two sides done in three, in three hours. hours. Right. So You can't stick around with a drummer who can't play. There was less time spent on, uh, you know, you only had a few tracks to work with, so it was a little less... Two tracks. Yeah, exactly. That so was two-track recording. To, in can't a way, it's mistakes. a lot more pressure. Can't fix mistakes. Can't fix mistakes, and you have to get the mix right live. So... You've got Andy White, though. You got him. I got here. Andy White. He comes in. Now, I've prepared the studio for somebody like Dennis Dyken. A, mo well, well, modern, well, a drummer. modern drummer of yeah. today or of the last yeah, 30 years. Yeah, you know, years. you hit the kick drum with authority. Basically, you thwack the I snare. I would say post John Bonham, mm -hmm. drummers hit hard. Right. Right. So first off, I remember no Tom Toms. There was no Toms on those records. Oh, wow. I did so, not even realize so that. So I really only have to worry about cymbal, snare, and kick. And uh, so I get the levels, and I'm thinking, you know, like I hit. You know? Of course. Well, Andy White, this little guy, Scotty, Scottish guy, I think, comes in, and he says, Hey, how you doing, Chep? And he sits <laughs> down there, and he's this little slight old man, and he sits down, and he starts playing, and he's like... Doo -doo -doo -doo. And you're like, he's doing oh, a P.S. I Love You. And you're thinking, oh, he must be warming up or it's something. Like, tink, 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 yeah, he's tink, just warming he's up. barely hitting the kick drum, barely hitting the snare drum. He goes, hey, have hey, you got a cowbell? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can rig you up a cowbell. So I rig him up. And I go into the control room here, where we are right now, to get the sounds. And I'm starting to pull stuff up. And I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> where is he? <laughs> so I'm like, is he playing? So the studio door is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, uh, there's no sound. I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> so I go out to check. Yeah, he's still playing. Everything's working. Everything's working. So I have to crank up all the levels. Oh, my God. Because it's like there's nothing coming off them. Yeah. And I realize right there, it's this is like supper club kind of drums. You know, be it's polite. 1962. Yeah, be polite in the background because people are having their meal. But it's such over, a different... The, the, the band doesn't have a PA, probably. It's a little jazz ensemble. There's no hard rock in 62. No. There's so, no, like... So you got to That was considered unprofessional to play like that. Or, yeah. you know, over-hit your instruments, right? right? And, I, and I realized, like, you know, P.S. I Love You is kind of a song that was... Uh, it's a samba. It's a little samba. Yeah, it's a very old-timey 
not real rock of. So I, I like it, but these days, yeah. So it was it was quite and love me do is kind of a wacky song for the time. Wacky, mm, yeah. great stuff. It's great, great stuff. But so that was working with Andy, the, the nicest guy. Yeah. And really respectful. And you got a chance to do that by working with the Smithereens. Yeah, I got to I got to work with the guy who recorded Andy White. Love Me Do. That's pretty cool. He That's was here. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. One, two, three. As I write this letter, send my love to you. Remember that I always be in love with you. Treasure these few words to which Let's just talk just a little bit about these tribute things we did. Um, we did a, a series of them. Uh, let's, let's talk about the Beatles one first. That was um, Meet the Smithereens was the very first tribute album that, that you guys mm -hmm. did, and we did it here. Uh, why... I don't think I really asked you ever how that came to be that you guys worked at House of Vibes. <laughs> was it because, I mean, we go back, you and I, we did, as I said, you did a, the first client was you doing yeah. demos for Smithereens 11. Yeah, well, I, I definitely yeah, And see. then we did uh, stuff over the years as demos, but then we did the Buzz Meg stuff in the 90s. Yeah. No, I, I definitely suggested it to the guys, and yeah. it was convenient at the time, and... Uh, uh, we had a good working relationship by that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you I had already been working with Dennis too in Buzz Meg, so yeah. And you could read my mind, and you know what I'm capable of. And, yeah, and uh, it really is amazing because I was working at that point, yeah, day yeah. job, and I I remember. Well, this is for the Christmas album. I'm going ahead, but I remember falling asleep while I was. <laughs> tracking the uh, end of uh, Christmas Time is Here Again, the Beatles thing, because it sounds kind of dreamy, and there's a real reason for that, because I, <laughs> I was in La La Land, <laughs> but it, it, it sounds cool. But I was just what, like, like Don Dixon, was, that's it, we captured the magic, you know, how many times do you get a guitar player who literally falls asleep and stays in tune and... You know that doesn't happen. I don't think that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Otherwise, so it was kind of funny because that's I, on the record. Because I wake up, I, I mean, I only dozed off. I, it wasn't like I was sleeping, sleeping. I just dozed off for a couple of seconds, and but I was still the guitar was still in my hand, <laughs> and I was still holding on to a note. You know. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so, uh, well, what I remember about those albums, you were working, and we, we weren't, th those weren't, like, totally compressed sessions. Maybe they were for me. 
Like I was working a lot with each of you doing overdubs and stuff. Yeah, as we had you to do. do things separately because of my yeah. work schedule. As you do with a record, um, you know, as I said before, you make a record, you, usually you get the drums, bass, guitar to start it, and then you start figuring out how to do it, you know, what to add, what, what the song needs mm-hmm. as a, to make it a record. I think in those, for that album, or those albums, I think because of my work schedule and because I was lazy to learn it, uh, I think you, you just kept the bass and drums, and then I would come in and overdub the guitar. Yeah, Because, yeah. like, the night before the studio, I would kind of figure out how to play these songs, and then it would be fresh in my mind, and then, then I would forget it. Because if you ask me to play any of that stuff now, there's no way... <laughs> I'd remember it. No, no way. Well, it won't be long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, I can't remember. So, so, okay, about that. I would learn it the night before, come in, record it, and forget it. Well, that's okay. But, (laughs) you know, you applied yourself in the moment. You were there, you know, doing what you did. And so that's really what I want to ask about is, you know, the approach. I remember when we were sort of thinking about the smithereens meet the smithereens meet the beatles you know approaching this tribute record to make it a smithereens album mm-hmm. what were you thinking like you know well i i told pat he's crazy yeah i said I, you know it's sacrilegious what do you mean record a, a beatles album <laughs> are you crazy but it, it worked it, it uh, worked because i think it worked from my point of view as co-producer or engineer whatever yeah. my title is was uh, you know, I thought, okay, if I'm a fan and I want to, you know, think about checking out a, a Smithereens album of of them doing the Beatles, I want to hear the Smithereens sound. Right. Which, as we know, as we discussed, you know, you listen to, especially for you, that's the crystallization of the sound. I mean, obviously you changed over the years and, and expanded it, but, yeah, you know, I, I was, from my point of view, from behind the console, I was like... I'd like to give that this album that band and kind of uh, blow right. it up, especially with the guitars. You know, yeah, the guitars were crunchier than the Beatles, obviously a little dirtier, and and plus because we tuned down a half step, automatically, automatically it sounds like us. With, yeah, you know Pat's voice. Now Dennis, you know the drums are played pretty faithfully, which is kind of funny that uh you know his drumming is pretty faithful to the record and, and yet the rest of us are all like have gone rogue <laughs> you yeah, know yeah <laughs> so it, the backbeat is there everything is there it's recognizable but then it's like wait it it sounds like the smithereens you know and there are some people some younger kids that you know uh, might not have heard the beatles and think that there was one person that that didn't know that it was a Beatles song that they heard, which <laughs> that's really good. It's rare. It's really good. But to, that's to funny. That. It's like, oh my god, I didn't realize that was a Beatles song. <laughs> well, I think you know we've done the Gripweeds have actually just done uh, an album of covers, and when when you do an album of covers, um, I always think like you kind of got to justify its existence because you have the originals. So if you do a carbon copy of the original, yeah, why no, would you there's no point. want... There's no point. So, I mean, that that seemed to be, 
apply the smithereens vibe to to the beatles and let's see what happens yeah by the way i I love what you did with lady friend instead (laughs) of using the horns you had the uh thank you you did the vocals like kind of like the association i yeah i i I, uh, (laughs) and and the castles yeah beautiful thank you thank you yeah that again that's like you know when you we did these albums and and um you know the three i think tribute records that we did we were trying to to you know rework or reimagine the song to fit yeah the and band. plus i i can't play like um, beatlemania i don't know some yeah. of those chords that they play the beatles played so i kind of made up what i think it yeah. sounds like they're not perfect by any stretch but they're me and especially with the towns and stuff too i um on the tommy album i uh you know you it's hard to I, I don't even want to imitate anybody yeah so it's just my impression of it it's my take on yeah, it. yeah and you know it it's like when we the group we uh when we did dig we started out as a band when you helped us form and i can say that because you're here <laughs> uh you know we were we were trying to sound like yeah. those songs right and that was like you know kind of our way of finding our way as a band and then we built our own sound and in this case we went back to those songs and tried to plug ourselves into them and find a way to make them new yeah you know and i think like when you and dennis were jamming in the garage you you probably were just thinking how can we sound like the who (laughs) you know but then you know fast forward to the 2000s and you guys are you know you're an original band with a sound you know you got to make these songs your own yeah right well listen i mean a lot of people forget when the beatles were starting out or the stones they wanted to sound like their idols yeah i mean they you know uh yeah so um you know so people have defended us with with that regarding that and like like um you know oh they're covering the beatles how how dare they how dare they but then somebody the people come to our defense and said look the beatles tried to sound like uh, buddy holly and and like you know whatever uh well, it was a p- an important album meet the beatles was an important record to you know a lot of people especially at that time you know it's like that's what drove people to get into music in the first place right you know a lot of these bands and people of um that when people who were alive at the time to have been affected by that album firsthand you know uh formed bands yeah you know it was very impressionable at that that age since she's been gone i want no one to talk to me it's not the same but i'm too plain it's plain to see so go away leave me alone don't bother me the various tribute things we did, we did the the Who one. That was really well. That's difficult. more in their wheelhouse, in some way. You know, I in think some ways, Jim yeah. is undoubtedly influenced by Pete Townsend and his guitar playing.
the ba- the band's pretty much replicating Tommy quite well, like the live who might do it. I would right. Think. The 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 difficulty with that one was getting the vocals right because Pat has to do Roger Daltrey. Yeah. And, uh, who can do Roger Daltrey? It's a very difficult thing to you do. You can kind of not really a little, but all right, yeah, not you're really. a little bit more of a mimic. Yeah, yeah but, got, but okay, Roger Daltrey. He's, but fitting that, I mean, there, there's an example of Pat has this idea, and yeah, let's do the Who Played Tommy, and, and like, you want to do that? It's like, sure, we'll give it a try. And, and you did the whole album? I'm the guy who has to figure out how. <laughs> you know, yes, it's, it's one thing to have you. the idea, but it's another thing to get a, a usable, releasable record out of the idea. Well, you know, that's... And I'm the guy that had to make that leap. None of them were going to do it. They were... Dennis plays drums and left. Jim did his guitar work and left. Pat came in and did his vocals. But I had to somehow make all of this into a record. Well, you know know, George Martin fell with John Lennon. I want to smell the sawdust. Yeah. You just make it work. It's a little bit of like, you know, I played some keyboards. Um, I brought in them all to do backing vocals it's and quite stacks a tall order. of vocals. It yeah. was difficult to do. We, you know, make do Tommy. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I think at the same time, oh no, Tommy was later. The Besides the Beatles album, we were doing simultaneously, we did the basic tracks with the live in concert record. Four Nights at the Court. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and it was like hard work. Right. Like a little bit of boot camp there, musical boot camp. And of course, that was yet another time we opened for the Smithereens, which was, we opened for the Smithereens in several different times Venues and places. And yeah, yeah. So, um, so that we, was that. Yeah. And then around that same time, uh, I was doing Pat Denizio's solo albums. They're very good albums. And Pat came in here and did about five records, well, basically. How, how did Pat do his solo albums as distinct or different? What would he do differently solo that he wasn't doing with the Smithereens? How did he use that opportunity? Well, uh, he played a lot more guitar. Because in the Smithereens, Jim plays a lot of guitar. To the point where a lot of times people don't really know that Pat didn't play that much guitar. He would play some. But he liked to be in the booth. He liked to be in the control room and kind of being the de facto producer. Oh, okay. And kind of guide the session to get what he wanted. And to do that, he he didn't want to play. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he would he would kind of like to do that. Um, so, but but he would have to you know really be the start of the tracks, and um, you know working with him on some of his originals was really interesting. I got. Uh, a real insight into how um, his perspective on his songs, or I should say his perspective on the recording of his songs, and how to shape that so that it can be best uh, absorbed by people listening. Since you went away, I'm not strong. Waiting for you to call Something's wrong Every single day Time drags on Life without your love Is life too long Since you went away He would be sitting right where you are and uh, he would go uh, you know, uh, the, the intro's too long cut there 
Got to get to that first chorus quicker. Mm-hmm. He would be merciless with his own music. That's good. Just to get editing. You're right. Just a lot of editing. Get to the point where it's a record that can be successful. Yeah. So I was there. It's amazing that you were able to have that experience and learn that stuff. Absolutely. So I get to apply that to everything I do after that. Once you get that tool, the cat's out of the bag. It becomes part of your your ethic, you know, and you don't forget that stuff. No, you know, I well, you don't our, forget people like Pat Denizio. He's not a forgettable. Oh, guy. he's like yeah. unforgettable. Unforgettable guy. As a person, he's unforgettable. Yeah. I mean, he was such a presence yes. walking in, you know, physically. I know. But but he was such a, uh, uh, you know, he was very interesting. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he had his flaws, as as people probably know. Everyone's got flaws, you know. But um, you know when. Push comes to shove. He was a, a real. It was great to work with him, you know. And and he gave. There's there's some people that come into the studio and you know why they're successful. Ah, uh, because uh-huh. of what they deliver. I remember he used to walk in and go, um, just sprinkle some fairy dust on it. And at first I didn't know what he was talking about, but now it's like, you know, this whole thing, this whole uh, process of recording is really about capturing magic. And it's magical to begin with, you know. Just yeah. just the idea of you're making this, you're, you're capturing these performances, and then you're sculpting them into this incredible performance that's, you know, better than a single performance could have been. That's you know, right. And in the process, you got to put some special magic to on it. Well, you want to make you know, so that you want to make the recording to be unforgettable. Yeah. Then we did um, Buddy Holly, Pat Denizio. That was a, yes. That was a hoot. Yep. Uh, that was a hard record because hmm. Pat comes in. He goes, "I want to make it all acoustic." Ooh. And then we're going to bring in Charlie Colello on um, or uh, string arrangements. We're going to have a string quartet. Oh. And uh, Charlie Colello, for those who don't know, is um, the Four Seasons. He was in the Four Seasons, and he was uh, an arranger of note. I never actually met him. I talked to him on the phone. and um, It's hard to do that stuff. But as we put the album together, this idea of it being completely acoustic became kind of dull. And so I had to tell Pat. I said, Pat, you know, we really need some more instruments here. And he goes, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I think you should have some drums on this track. So we put drums down. Well, now we need a bass. Said, okay. So I played the bass. So that maybe a little electric guitar. So I'm playing lead guitar. So I wind up doing all the instruments except for the acoustic, and I did vocals on the Pat Denizio Buddy Holly record. So really, so when, if I were to retitle that record, it would be Pat Denizio Buddy Holly Kurt Ryle. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. If I like, would be so bold, because I'm on well, a lot of that album. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, I wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> Listen to me and hold me tight And you will see a love so right Hold me darling 
to Buzz Meg. You, uh, yeah. Now, Jim has his own band. He, he forms his own band in the 90s because the Smithereens take some time off, and Jim's got a lot of songs that he wants to get out. So he yeah. forms Buzz, Buzz Meg, and you're the singer, yeah. but you're also producing I'm the, the producer. album. Yeah. And you, how many albums of Buzz Meg did you do? Well, we actually did only one, but there's at least one, maybe two, that haven't been released. Oh, good. Which so, we're actually working on that. I'm glad to hear that. So people listening, there's yeah. going to be more Buzz Meg. There's more in the works. So you're working with Jimmy there. and What's, mm-hmm. what's that like? Working with Jimmy. Is, well, it's funny how he, he finds what he wants to do with a guitar solo. I've spent so many recordings of him where we literally start with nothing. Mm-hmm. We start with two notes. And then by the end, you have the iconic solo okay you know it just comes out and i had to measure up because yeah. you know i'm up i'm going up against in a way smithereens record so i want to make sure that we sound good of course and back then we were working like you said with eight track tape that's what we started with oh yes with buzz meg so which was so hard to try it was to harder keep, we had yeah. to try to compete with uh prof- record level sounds yeah. with project studio equipment mm. Which well, was we had, quite a challenge. We had to do. Get, like Jimmy brought in his Vox amp at the time. Well, yeah, AC thirty. He was the know. one that introduced us in the in the group weeds to you know what a real AC thirty sounded like. Sure. And, and it was like wow that that's the amp. Just turn it up, and it was loud. <laughs> Every band that comes in is a tribe. You know, you guys are tribe. Yeah, you know? we are and, jokes, and you kind of yeah. got to get, you got to get hip to it, and and sort of assimilate every every band every band that walks in, or else you're going to be the odd guy out. And 
you can't you have to be uh, receptive and, and a, a, you know you gotta mm-hmm. be in on it to be able to capture it yeah you know and, and, and if you're not you're just you're just the button pusher over there and you, you know you, they don't there's gotta be a give and take I, that's my experience in studio work and maybe you too it, it sounds like it, you know you, the, it's that give and take with the producer or your, you know, the people you're working with. You're all making a record. Yeah, know? I mean, we, you know, I remember when we were recording Green Thoughts, we had this tape that we got on the tour bus of, um, yeah, we'd get all these cassette tapes that before they were called the Jerky Boys and stuff like that. But um, there was one, one tape of Colonel Sanders d- trying to do the commercial for <laughs> I've heard Kentucky that. Fried Chicken. <laughs> we and played we were here too, <laughs> laughing hysterically, and 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 that helped the vibe of recording because I think you know then we start recording only a memory or something, you know. So it was it was a fun time. You had to mix pleasure with work, and we did it all the time. We always mixed. I found a way to cook. Take two. I found a way to cook extra. Come on over and, and try my crispy. It's entirely different, and yet it's just as tender and tasty. No, and it's just as finger licking good. You see, I found a way to cook chicken deep down and get that real crispy crust that some folks like. And it's just as tender and juicy, and I'll get it now. I found a way to cook chicken deep down and get that crispy. It was never serious, like go in and, you know start recording you know uh, i think they say it's playing music so you know when right. you're playing music it's not your working music you know and i think you need to you need to have a lightness to to let the let the the vibe or um you know a fairy dust come of course you, you know, know you have to get serious at some point but you know Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well especially when you're singing vocals because yes. I, I have a lot of yes. tapes of pat just cracking up i <laughs> there was one on uh when we were recording baby be good he was doing the vocal and he just he must have had some, I don't know what he had for lunch, but he let out this big belch. <laughs> and he just, and then he couldn't. That's not on the recording. No, but I have a tape of it, and he couldn't stop laughing for about <laughs> 10 minutes. So we, we you know, we, we couldn't move forward until. Well, I, th- I think that's a feature of, of uh, recording. Like, when, you, when you're when you working so hard and, and so in, in, intensely, the the laughing, sometimes you get into these laughing jags, and it just helps alleviate, you know, whatever if there's tension or whatever it is it's just great to but kinda... sometimes it goes on a little <laughs> no, too course, long but uh, you know it's hard to control yeah it is it is and then anything can set it off just <laughs> you know i remember singing a, a, a song with danny adlerman who uh, did some children's records yeah, with and me too and uh yeah <laughs> i was there and uh we had a few beers and you know uh we just couldn't stop laughing on that one song hundreds hundreds day, day. And it was it was funny because I, I was putting on this like hick kind of accent or something. <laughs> Everybody's going about <laughs> something like that. And uh, but the thing is, when you try to get back to it and stop laughing, you look at because we were on the same mic, we were doing it together live. And, and you crack up. All you just over look you. at the. Per- <laughs> <laughs> you should look at, look at him and you start laughing. You know, it's like a blooper reel. You know, actors. You know, you see the blooper reel. They're all cracking up. They're like, I can't do it. Yeah, I I did that to uh, um, what's that actor from Time Cop? Uh, Van Damme. Yeah, Jean Claude. Jean Claude Van, Van Damme. When we were doing the video for that, 
uh, we had to do a little acting in the you beginning. You cracked him up? Or yeah. <laughs> I had to look like really serious, like we were going back in time. And he was looking. Going back in time, man. Looking straight at me. And it didn't happen. And he was supposed to say his line, and he's looking at me <laughs> real serious, and then he just starts cracking up. I, I wish I had a tape of that. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a good moment. So Wow. Well, on that note, let's just say. Um, I, I owe you everything, Jim. So, oh, um, it's great to, to talk about stuff uh, in a different context. Mm-hmm. So um, thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. And awesome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in to part two of episode four of Vibrations at the House of Vibes, The Smithereens, Jim Babjack and HOV. Special thanks to Jim for doing this. More episodes can be found at our website, www.gripweeks.com, or where you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay well, stay safe, and keep those vibrations pure and positive.